Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, I always talk about the weather, but it's going to rain in L.A. this week. And I'm watching the news. And, you know, for growing up back east, when it's going to snow, you sit there and, you know, you go to the store. You get your bread. You get your milk, you know, toilet paper, you know, the things you need to live. Here, L.A., it's a joke. I saw them talking about people getting sandbags. It's like, I don't know. It's not like we're getting attacked by like, some militia, okay? Zombies aren't coming to get us. It's rain. And that's what always makes me laugh about here. It's like the rain isn't until the end of the week, and they're already advertising it. So I think I'm going to actually go to uh, J.C. Penney's and get me one of those yellow slickers and get me some galoshes just to be safe because I have a SpongeBob umbrella someone gave me years ago. And when I walk down the street in Burbank with that, I look like a pedophile. So I can't be using that. <laughs> anyway, I will stay. I will stay dry. And our guest today, he's from originally from back east, so I know he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Our guest is Pete Gardner. How you doing, Pete? Hey, good to see you. Nice. Good thanks for having me, Steve. Yeah. So you know, you're from Scarsdale. I am home of the diet and the murder. Yeah. Now, now, how old were you when that took place? Was it a big story in your town? Oh, it was huge. Um, that was probably in the mid seventies or late seventies. So I was probably like fifteen, sixteen years old. And actually, Tarnower's, um his clinic was just down the street from my house. Okay. So he, it was pretty close by. So the news must have been everywhere. Oh, yeah. It was a big deal. And then they filmed the movie in Scarsdale, and that was the first time I'd ever seen like where they actually drove through. Like, you know, they, had the, they had a lot of news crews that were there. It was, it was pretty exciting. Now, when I was a kid, were you into acting? I mean, was there something that gravitated you, or did you like sports? or what? Because I always ask people, what make them get into this business? And, it's, and you have a comedy background, it seems like. I do have a comedy background. My... Definitely, my doorway in was definitely being the wise guy in school, like you know, making the making the jokes in class and goofing around and being the class clown. And from there, I started doing school plays, and you know, it's just I think that was really you know what you know what another thing is is and you mentioned uh, Joel Murray earlier when we were talking. <clears throat> when I was a kid, when I was about mm, I guess it was seventy six, my dad died. He died in a car accident, and it was so, you know, it was just one of those things like all of a sudden you woke up and you were in like a, you know, movie of the week right. that you didn't want to be in. Right. And, uh, and I remember watching Saturday Night Live, and Bill Murray was on Saturday Night Live, and he did this, his famous uh, new guy speech where he like, he wasn't being as funny as he thought he could be, and he was just like, he wanted people to root for him. And one of the things he mentioned was that his dad died when he was a young kid. And because of that connection, it like, I don't know, at that point, all of a sudden I realized it was like, well, I'm going to get through this. Because at that time, I was like, I don't think I'm ever going to laugh again. You know, it's like, right. oh, those things are so tragic. And because of that, I started to really watch Saturday Night Live a lot. I started to root for Bill Murray all the time. I was like, watched all his movies. And I think that that really was... And also, and I totally followed his path. I went to sec. I moved to Chicago. I joined Second City. I performed at Second City. Uh, directed at Second City, and that was always. And and I got to work with his, which was a total blessing on my part. Was I got to work with Del Close, who's the guy that directed Bill Murray and right. John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd and all those guys back in the day. And so I learned from him. Well, you know, it's weird. It's also uh, just because Bill Murray and Bill Murray was such an influence on me. And it's really weird how people who are younger don't understand, like, the passing of Harold Ramis. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that to me is sort of like even when, 
you know, if you're younger, you don't understand. I mean, you've seen his movies, but you don't understand the influence he had. Even like John Hughes. I mean, mm-hmm. it's so funny. My girlfriend's niece is a freshman at Monmouth College in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have a class on the films of John Hughes. So it's just amazing. And that's Really? A good, yeah, and that's a good private school. But Ramis and, you know, John Hughes, for us, when we were at that age, they, they made such a difference. I mean, I remember seeing, you know, Ghostbusters and Stripes that he starred in. Animal House. Yeah, and Animal House. Animal House was huge. Animal House was like the beginning of the whole way. No, Ramis wrote that. I know, I couldn't believe it. I didn't even realize that. Because I I remember Animal House, I remember it was at this little movie theater in my area, and me and this guy, I know, we we smoked pot, and we (laughs) snuck into the movie theater, because it was rated R, I think we were like 16. But it it was amazing, but it was just what the comedy he, I think he influenced so many people, Every guy wanted to be Bill Murray or Russell Ziski in in Stripes because they got the hot chicks. Yeah, they, they were did. these goofballs, and it's for you. It must I think it's more impactful for the guys from Chicago because that you know the Chicago scene; those people were around it. You know, so for it's an, it's a morbid impact because you were on stages that those people grace absolutely, which and must it, be a, a like oh my god, you know, as a young we'll get how we got up when you got up there, but as a young actor or improv or it must be just going oh my god i'm, I'm on the stage where you know there's, there's oh, yeah. legends and they're oh my legends god. but i think that honestly we traveled there in search of that i mean like that was we went to mecca and mecca was chicago and what's so amazing is that when we were there so many people were there at the same time uh mike myers steve carell stephen colbert uh, Horatio Sands, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler were down in my basement, you know, doing improv. I was their coach for their team. And, I mean, it was just am- it's amazing to see. The- I mean, it's amazing to see Tina now. I mean, when she was doing uh, the David Letterman uh, Kennedy Center honors, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, and, it was just amazing. To and me. what's amazing about her also is she's from the Philadelphia area. But, you know, no one, because Philadelphia didn't have a real improv background. There's a lot of comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Adam McKay went to Chicago, but he started off as a stand up comic. Mm-hmm. But Tina Fey knew, and it's just amazing to think that we had this, you know, this, and she's around our age, we had this amazing talent that never even, like, I mean, maybe she hung out at the clubs and we didn't know who the hell she was. But I think in college, I think when she was going to college, uh, she started there a little bit. But when I met her initially in Chicago, she was just like a mouse. I mean, she was just like always kind of baggy clothes. She kind of looked like Ali Sheedy from The Breakfast Club. <laughs> and uh, But she was so quiet. <clears throat> and we would rehearse and we'd practice. And... She was good, but she was always just a little bit removed and a little bit, you know, reserved. And then one night she was doing a show, and Amy Poehler was a friend of hers from, I guess, from college, and or they knew each other, and Amy's team went first, and then Tina's team, my team, went second. And Tina brought it. Okay. I mean, all of a sudden she just came alive, and I just remember going up to her, and I was like, what was that? And then she would do that, and I directed her at the Turing Company, and I worked with her many times, but she would always surprise you like that. She was just amazing. She was great. It's so crazy. You said you went to Skidmore State. I did. I went to Skidmore College. Did you uh, major in acting, or what was your theater, or what was your major? As a matter of fact, I was going to acting school in New York City at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, or Dramatic Gestures as it's known. 
And I was going there, and I was 18, 19 years old, playing King Lear, and it just made no sense to me. I hadn't lived yet. You just didn't enjoy it. I, just, I loved the school. It was a very good school, but it like, didn't make any sense to me. I, I hadn't had any life experience to bring to the work that I was doing. And so I went to go visit a friend of mine who went to Skidmore College, and I went up for a weekend, and I ended up staying for two years. Okay. Because I it was – it was originally a girls' school back in the 60s and 70s. And then they had started to, because of Title IX, they started letting men in, I think, or something like that. So it was 70% women, 30% guys. That's the best, Oh, man. my God. Because I went to school, it was like 55% guys, 45% girls. And of the 45% girls, like 60% of them were chubby. Before they, before they got to 15 <laughs> pounds when, they were, when we were freshmen, we were going, girls, girls. And all of a sudden, you sit there, and you're like, okay, we can do. And then they start getting on birth control and eating the starchy food and drinking <laughs> beer. And then all of a sudden, you, like, you sit there, and you're like, and it's winter back east, so the girls don't care when they come. They're all in their shorts, and they're like, right. by like November, you know, you, you finally get lucky. And, the, yeah, exactly. and you're like, oh, I'm going to get lucky. And then you're like, you go, oh, my God, this wasn't layers of clothing. This is her body. <laughs> well, I mean, it, we were very lucky because, I mean, there were these actually, the, the women that went to Skidmore were beautiful. They are beautiful, lovely women. And since there was such a, you know. You guys, there was so you guys were rock stars. Yes, we were rock stars. <laughs> and uh, we had a wonderful time. So actually – I was trying to get aw- not get away from it. I knew I was going to go back to it, but I wanted to just have a college experience. And so I studied, you know, law and business. I took business classes, and it just was so not me. But it was so great to do it and have that experience. And so the only thing that I did that was anyway sort of theatrical was I had a radio show. I had a radio show that went on, I think, at five or six o'clock in the morning, and it went till nine. And it was, it was my idea, but I had fifties. Uh, the songs from like the fifties, and those songs are like all two minutes long, right. not even. <laughs> and so I would be running, pulling songs, and there would just be when I was done, there would just be stacks of records. Right, all over and the place. back then it was records, right? It so it's not, so it's not like you just go, oh, okay, uh, iTunes, click. You click don't just there, push the like, cart. Yeah, you had to, you had to put the thing on, and, and then I was picking songs, and then I would just look for compilations where I could just play at least you know a side of a record but i loved it i loved it and then there was another guy um that i did a radio show with he and i did like a comedy show and that was really fun and that was like the first thing where i was actually kind of like writing bits and putting things together and uh, adam resnick and uh that I, was I, a lot i know of that name I, I, do you oh he's a guy this is like you know he's no, probably I mean, in i think he went to my high school really <laughs> no, that, that name oh, i know that would be hilarious. i know an adam resnick I think he was I, I know an Adam Resnick. We'll, we'll talk about this after. Did he have glasses? No. I, I, I don't know, I, I, think so. I, 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 he this, was great, though. He was like a quirky, just weird guy that was like going to college. <laughs> and he was like, I think he was the head of the radio station, or he was the manager or whatever, so he could do whatever he wanted. And he so we... Dave Resnick, I'm sorry, okay. not Adam Resnick. No, because I know, I know, I know. Dave well, I Resnick, know. what am I thinking? Dave Resnick. It was a long time ago. So, so did you graduate college? I did not. So, but, I did not graduate from college because... I started to, you know, I took all these classes and like half, like whenever the midterms would come up, I'd be like, ah, this is not for me. Right. <laughs> and so one time I got it in my head that I wanted to go to Australia. 
Somebody, oh, we were down at like the Rat Skeller or whatever it is, you know, like the, oh, yeah, the, the pub, we used to the pub, the Rat Skeller, right, when you exactly. could drink on campus. Exactly. Like, yeah, we used we to drink, yet, we used to drink with our professors. Really? Because, well, I made the cutoff in New Jersey, if you were a certain age, if you made it, it was, drinking age was 18. Then it went up to 19. But if you were 19 before, my birthday's in October, if you were 19 before it changed that year, when I went to 21, you were grandfathered in. Oh, yeah, I remember So those. we yeah. would sit there, and there are, and I was involved in student government and stuff like that. Believe it or not, I was like <laughs> out of my mind really? drinking and stuff. But uh, yeah, we would go with our professors, and now that would never happen. No. And we would sit there, and we listened to a guy we knew playing guitar, and the professor would drive by around the beers, and, and no one thought anything of it. And oh, it was wow. so mellow back That's then. That's so cool, though, to get yeah. to know your professors like that. So you, you, you said you... Uh, oh, you when... Uh, so I was down there, and... Um, Somebody came down with a letter that they had gotten from a friend at a sheep station in Australia. And all of a sudden, I just got it in my head. I was just like, I'm going to go to Australia. So I went off to the library, and I opened up this enormous atlas, and there was a picture of Australia. And I like, did the spin the finger around and drop it, and it landed on Wagga Wagga, Australia. And that was where we were going, you know. And so I tried to get all these guys to go, and there were like 10, 15 guys that were all going to go. And then it got to be like five guys. <laughs> and it was just me and Pete Mad Dog Madden. We were going to go to Australia. And then he called me like sometime in September and was just like, I can't go. I got to, I can't. And so I ended up going by myself. Just to do what? Just to go on an adventure. Actually, I was a huge fan of uh, Indiana Jones. I just any anybody could get me to do anything if they just went dun 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 dun. Okay. dun. I jumped off a hundred foot bridge one time. Okay, that's crazy. Oh my god! I I started out at like forty feet. I was jumping <laughs> off these cliffs, and then I went to the next highest cliffs and jumped off from there. And then I jumped from the girders underneath the bridge, and then I went up at the top. And I remember looking down, and I was just like, "Oh my god! I'm not going to do this. this. Is stupid." And then they, somebody down there on the like on the shoreline was like, dun, 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 dun. and then I stepped over the bridge, like over the the railing, and I just remember being like, now I got to do it because I'm on, the, I can't walk back. Yeah, you can't take that walk and of I shame. Never, I know, I, I, you know, that's who I was at that time, and I remember I just stepped off, <laughs> and then I went, and I remember hovering, and I'm just like feeling like one, two, three, and I clenched up like I was gonna hit, and I didn't hit. It was still falling. Oh, wow. And so then I was, then that kind of scared me. But then, like, my brother had told me a story of that they had done something like that years ago. So I knew it was possible. And I I knew that what I was supposed to do was just be as, like, a rail. Right. But then I finally hit, and it didn't hurt or anything like that. But I went down. I think I went down, like, a good 12, 15 feet, like, just shot down in the water. And so I then it took me a while to get back up. And so that really scared me, but that I, you know, and then it was a legend, but it was only a legend for one day right? because somebody else came up and was like, oh, crazy Ken, he dove off of that bridge. Right. And I was like, no, <laughs> one day I was the king hey, of at the least, world. At least you were at one day. One day. 15 and then the minutes. Thing is, the funny thing is, is that a year later, the next spring, so I did that in, you know, in the autumn and the next spring uh, I went there with crazy Ken and crazy Ken you couldn't even look over the edge. I was like, Crazy Ken, I thought you dove off this thing. He's like, ah, we just told you that, Pete. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh. You're like, you took my legendary <laughs> status, know, you that's jerk. They, you they took, wanted me to take me down to yeah. yeah, I just wanted to take me down. So you're in Australia, and then you, you still, you're still not thinking about acting when you moved to Australia. Well, the funny thing is, I, I, this is just the way my life works. I got to Australia. I got to New Zealand. Because I, I, first I went to New Zealand. I went to Auckland, New Zealand. 
I went around the North Island, then I went across the ferry to Picton down to the South Island. And, but somewhere in Auckland, like the first day I was on my trip. And also, when I was traveling from New York to Los Angeles, I realized I had never been to Los Angeles. And then I was flying to Hawaii, and I was like, what the hell am I doing? I don't even have any idea. Like, I don't even have a plan. I'm just going to just travel. And uh, I, got to, uh, I got to Auckland, and I remember I saw a movie called Birdie. I love that movie. Right? With uh, Matthew Modine yeah, and Nicolas Cage. I haven't Cage. seen it since. I only yeah, saw it, it that one time. It took place in Philly. And I remember when I was Did in college. Yeah, it took, and, and now they're down the Jersey Shore. But I remember when I was in college, it was on a, someone got the video of it or something like that. But the guy who was my roommate, one of my roommates, his friend played one of the uh, interns chasing them. He kept oh, going, right. oh my God, there's my friend, there's my friend. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. But I love that movie. It was such a great movie. It hit me and I was probably 20 or 21 when I when I saw it. And there were young guys. It was like Nicolas Cage and, and Matthew, and Matthew Modine. Modine. And when I saw it, I remember coming out of the movie theater and thinking like, that's what I should be doing. That's where I should be going. I should be following that. And so the, it actually was a good thing because that was always in the back of my mind as I was traveling around. And I traveled for 11 months. Okay. And I went to Australia. I went around Australia. Then I went to New Zealand. No, I went, started in New Zealand, Australia, Thailand, Nepal. Nepal was the Indiana Jones thing. Do you remember in the beginning of Indiana Jones, there's the red line that shows right. where he's flying and he goes to Nepal. And then so he goes, you're like, yes. I was like, I had to do that. And that was, and it was everything I wanted it to be. It was like walking around in National Geographic. It so was you, so cool. So you travel for 11 months. You see the world, which is a great experience. Oh, my God. It was fantastic. And also the great thing about traveling like that is you can change your personality like every two weeks. Right, because you're, you're, you're in a new place. You yeah, yeah. And, you're, and you're meeting new people. And I had friends that were like the tightest friends for like two or three weeks. And then they would be going north and I'd be going to Malaysia and whatever. And so we had all these hey. great friends, but you... Kind of, I kind of got to know who I was too. Right, and but plus it must be great as you would say you could change your personalities or you know because I think eventually when you go and went into the acting it helps. It's like for me, I live in Burbank, I know everybody. I can't change. Like me and right. my girlfriend were saying, and that's who you are. Yeah, I should sit there and I should buy a hairpiece and I should go out to the places I go and not say a word like it's a joke and have someone film me to see how people react. Absolutely. See if people sit there and go, ah, "That's funny, Cooper," or. Not say a word because you you don't. I mean, people. I mean, I'm fine with being bald. I know a guy who was bald. I saw him one time with the the worst hairpiece, and you're trying not to look at him. <laughs> like you're trying to talk to him in the eye, and you're looking at you're that. You're looking down his and, nose, and right? then you're sitting there and you're going, "Does this guy know how crappy this looks?" <laughs> so you so you travel the world. You come back to America. Do you go back to New York? Uh, no. When I came back, I needed to make some money, so I went, and it's one of those things. Uh, it was one of those times in my life where I just kept following whatever I wanted to do, and it just kept working out in a great way. Um, and I think, you know, it's tough. When you get older, it's harder to do that oh, once yeah. you have a house and kids and all that kind of stuff. But I went, uh, some friends of mine were living out on Martha's Vineyard, and I went out there and I got a job cooking in a restaurant in Martha's Vineyard, made a bunch. Of, and what was great was back then you got paid like half cash, half in check. And so I just put all the checks in the bank and so I had a nice little nest egg and I just and I knew I was going to Chicago so you just to decided follow my, my Bill Murray Mecca but now you'd never been to Chicago oh no I had never been to Chicago and since I had been traveling <clears throat> the one thing that I realized was I hate cities like cities are like they're all the same 
you know. And then when I would get into the country or, or get into the towns, the people were much friendlier. <clears throat> you know, you could talk to everybody. It was just much more. It was just much more who I was. So I was so sure I wasn't going to like Chicago, but I wanted to go anyway, and I just went, and I loved it. I loved it from the second I got there. It was just my kind of people. Everybody was friendly. Everybody would talk to you. If you ever even look kind of lost, somebody would come up to you and be like, oh, I'm, I'm going that way. I'll show you that. Right. And then I, I told that story so many times of like that that's the way how nice people were. And then my wife and I went back for a reunion, for an improv Olympic reunion, <clears throat> and we were trying to find a hotel. And sure enough, we're like standing on the street corner and somebody's like, oh, what hotel are you looking for? I'm like, uh, the Chicago, whatever. And they're like, oh, right this way. I'll walk you there. I mean, it was like, that's Chicago. See, that's cool. So, so you go up there and you start doing the second city. Uh, for, well, first I started doing the Improv Olympic, okay. uh, and that was that's where Del Close, Del Close was. Del Close right. was no longer affiliated with uh, with Second City. He had broken away, and he was basically of the idea that improv on its own could stand alone as a theater piece. Second City was much more you used your improv to create sketches, and so the but the so that was what the big pull for doing the Improv Olympic was just doing Heralds, which is just completely improvised. The only thing is, it's fantastic to do, and it's like, it's like golf. Like where where I know I'm not a big golfer, so maybe that's a bad analogy, but <clears throat> it's one of those things like, you work at it, you pl- you do it, you do it, you do it, and then you have a great one where everything comes together and all the ideas you you create this group mind that you're working with that's just. You can say anything, and and the person that you're playing with will give you just the right line, and it just all comes together at the end. And it kind of makes a point about whatever the theme was that you started with, and you end, and you're like, oh, my God, that was fantastic. And then you go after it, you try to chase it again, and it's not quite there and not quite there. And then you get another one, and then you get another one, and then you get another one, and then they disappear for a while where you just can't seem to pull it together again. And then you finally hit another one, and it's just like it's the greatest feeling in the world. Well, yeah, that's always I always because I used to talk. I'm when Pete Holney was on. I used to go with my buddy years ago. He did improv Olympic. It was with him. It was beer shark mice or whatever. Sure, sure. And I still remember watching that. So one thing that stuck out, and Pete and Neil Flynn, I think it's his name, they stuck out in my mind. Cause I remember they were good. And my buddy wanted to do improv. I didn't. You know, I just would go to support my friend. But yeah, that's the thing. It, it's you know, it's that one performance must be great. Like comedy, you're going to be when you do stand up. There's a pretty good chance you know you're gonna have a you're gonna have a great set, and you might have a crappy set. But it's not if you're you know that material will get you another great set. Absolutely for for improv, what is it's because you got it's just a run of the moment, and then you absolutely you, you're right. You can't repeat that because then it's not really improv no, ever, never. And and you and the way we did it, we always were. We would never even do the same characters again. We would never do anything the same because we really were trying to be purists and do it. You know, you know, live, brand new every time. But that's the great thing about stand up. And I've never done stand-up, but is the craftsmanship. It is. I mean, you watch Louis C.K., and it's, it's a word. It's the right. phrasing. Right. It's the way he crafted that whole joke that's brilliant. But that's the problem with improv is that it is so magical, but you also need five guys to do it. I mean, right. I started doing a two-man show, which was fantastic. I really love to do because it really pushed the boundaries for me of, like, what I was comfortable with. But with – with um, stand-up, you're really learning a craft of like really how to do it. And you just got to keep well, at it's it. It's just words, yeah. It's just weird. It's like you know, you, and even I know this stuff from when I tweet a lot. I do a lot of tweets, and um, you have to learn to write shorter. Yeah, and you learn there's certain ways you can't say. It's just it's it's a very 
you know, it's a it's a learning experience because it's true because you you have to say you have hundred and whatever characters to do it. And you have this idea, and then you. I, what I always do is I just write the bit, and then it's like minus nineteen. So right. then you have to sit and go, okay, well I can use an, an amb, the and an ambersand or whatever it's called, and not space it. And I do it when I try to get guests. I tweet them, and I sit there and I go, okay, whose name will fit? Okay, so my latest is Nia Vardalos, Kate Flannery, and Mark Valley. Okay, if I go to TV people, they know that. If it's someone who's a musician, Terry Nunn, Gilby Clark, and Jerry Stahl, the novelist, they'll know that. So you learn, but you learn how to. Tweak it, yeah, exactly. it's, it's, it's true. But so, with improv, it's it's always brand new, and it's always so you don't you. But you do learn an amazing skill set, and the amazing skill set that I think you really take away from improv is agreement. Right, agreement is is so huge, and it really does change your life, and it really becomes. And I think this is why a lot of our improv buddies stay together for so many years. I'm like. Uh, Dave Keckner and some of the other people that I worked with originally, you still know these guys for after 20 years, is because you, you're there for each other 110%. Right. Like the goal and the thing that Del Close always taught us was you got to make the other guy look good. It's all about the other guy. If you put the focus on yourself, you know, you're going one direction, he's going another. But if you put your focus on him and he puts his focus on you, you take care of each other. Well, I think that's important in communication. I mean, I, Absolutely. I, mean, I try to do that with this show. I mean, the guests are here... I, I'm not here for me to, if I wanted to just be about me, right. I would just play some music and talk about myself. Right. And I mean, I'll, I'll interject, but that's the thing. You know, the guests, you want to get good guests. And the only way you can get good guests is if, you know, I have a guest come on and they say, oh, this guy was, it was all about him. It was all about, and I'm not going to get more guests. Right. And if I wanted to be all about me, I would, you know, do my own. You know. And I think it's probably more interesting for you, though, to, to pull stuff out of people. And yeah, it's great. And, and, and plus, you, so many people just lately, all Chicago guys everywhere. I mean, I'm sitting there going, it's so funny. I'm like, hey, this guy, you know, and all you guys know each other. That's what always comes in. They're like, oh, I know that guy. Well, you know, I know that guy. And, and, well, it's, I was going to say that, you know, it'll be, it's, it's good for you to keep going to the Chicago well because they're all going to say yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but they're all, they're all, have, they're, you guys have such a huge talent base. It's like, you know, my friend John Matt is married to Rose Abdu. Mm-hmm. You know, and people don't know, a lot of people don't know Rose, but she's been working for years. Oh, sure. And just, you just, there's so much good talent that came out of Chicago. Oh, it was unbelievable. In, in that generation. I don't know about now. I can't speak for now, but, you know, every, you know, you look at the list. I mean, because when you were in Improv Olympic, then when did you decide to go to Second City? Did, was that after? A, that was after. Second City for us. When we first started to go, like audition and stuff like that, it, it just, it was like at a different place. And we ended up kind of going our own road, do, like doing our own thing rather than uh, doing Second City. So Second City actually was kind of like the end, the cap of my experience in Chicago. And when I was done at Second City, it was like it was time to leave. Well, everyone says that. They, you, know, they, you know when you go on stage when it's time to leave Chicago. I mean, it, it, no matter who, if you're an improv but you know when you leave. When you were ready to leave, you just said, I'm going to L.A.? Well, you know, God bless my wife. When I was, we had just bought a house. We bought like our dream house in Chicago. It was like five bedrooms, big porch, you know, on a tree-lined street. It was like everything we always wanted. We had a little baby. Were you making money doing the improv or were you doing commercials? I was was doing commercials and I, at that point, I started directing uh, the touring company at Second City and directing the ETC. The, I did an, uh, an ETC show. Okay. Uh, with Neil Flynn and Brian Stack. Do you know Brian Stack? Have you no, talked? To, oh, he'd be a good interviewer too. I'm sure. He's great. He's okay. hilarious. No, He's this, a writer on Conan. Okay. He's great. And uh, 
And so I had done that, and then I was just like, I knew it in my gut that it was time to go. I was just, I just felt it. And luckily, my wife was like, "Go, see what you can, you know, see what you think." And I was, uh, I was very lucky. I got an agent and a, a manager, and I started booking commercials out here. And I was like, "I guess it's time to make the move." I always uh, wonder where is the first place you moved when you came out here? Because now you had not been to LA, or had you been to LA? No, you came no. In, that, in that when you went to the movie. That was here? Yeah. Okay, but so you'd never been here for a while. No, I hadn't been here for a very long time. And when I first came out here, you know, I basically stayed with friends, and that's how you kind of – so I stayed with my friend Carlos Jacot, who's a great improviser, great actor, and now is a writer. He writes on um, – oh, he wrote on uh, Psych. Oh, love that show. Oh, great. I did one of those uh, a couple months ago, and so much fun. Just a great experience. can't believe it's over. It's I like, know. I, I, didn't, I didn't even know. My girlfriend loves that show, and then we're watching it, and they go, it's going to end, and I'm like, wait a second, because I just started getting into it. I know. That's the problem, is that like a lot of people get into it late, and, and I think it had been on. The writing's amazing, because oh, they have so many references great. in the 80s stuff and the 90s, and I know, uh, what's his, uh, Dean Cameron was on the show, and mm-hmm. he said how they're bringing him back, because they loved all those, and they had a whole episode based on the Dean Cameron, uh, right. the, the murder hacks. Yeah, but it's just, they're amazing. So, but, but okay, so you, you came out with your buddy. Oh, so I came, I came to stay with Carlos and Carlos lived down in Venice. And so we, initially I lived down in Venice. I lived down on Electric Avenue. And well, at first I lived with them and then I stayed with another friend, John Lear, who's another great improviser. And uh, so, so I basically was in, in, in Venice, but then I saw my friend, Pat Finn. I don't know if you've met Pat. Uh, but Pat Finn had a house out in the valley, and he had a house and a backyard, and I was like, oh, okay, so we could do it here. Because I was like, Venice, where am I going to bring my kids in right. Venice? They have gang practice on the exactly. weekends. <laughs> you know, I don't, don't want to be a part of that. Um, so I did. Uh, I moved out to the valley uh, once my wife – and so they, they followed pretty, pretty soon after. They came, I think, in – I arrived in September, and my wife – and my son came out, I think, in January. But you were working. I mean, you had, you had booked working. some commercials. I had booked some commercials. I started working. Uh, I think my first TV show was Arliss. I saw that in your... Uh, yeah. And Arliss was a great show. It was. It was a great show. It was one of those... It's funny, though. Uh, I can remember that audition. I mean, it was like the first thing I well, had you did. done TV or just... Or just I, did the... some, I had done some stuff in Chicago, but I mean, I did like The Untouchables. And I did... I forget what... There was another like crime show. Mo Money. And I did more money in Chicago. That's true. Um, With Mark Beltzman. Yes. TV's Mark Beltzman. Um, I did, uh, I had done a couple of things, but I wasn't, I wasn't really, you know, that savvy on doing television. And I remember I did something for Arliss and I remember I just didn't feel like it was that great. And, and I just got into my car and I was tearing off my tie and I was all pissed off. And like two minutes later, my agent called and was like, they want you. And I was like, okay, so I my I didn't really know how to like judge what was good or bad, obviously at that point. But it, it's one of those things you, you can never you can never know why you get hired for jobs or or how things work out. They just it's so funny. I mean, you can go into a room and just they're laughing, they're knocking themselves out, and you're just like, this is a done exactly. deal, and, and you never hear. What was your first national commercial? Do you remember? Oh, sure. I think my first national commercial was a Miller Lite commercial, and it was a huge one. It was uh, going to the Super Bowl <clears throat> with a young guy named Kenny Johnston, 
and uh, he and I became really good friends after that. He uh, he and I were like starting somewhere and going down to Tampa where they were having the Super Bowl in Tampa, and we went, and it was Gary Weiss. Remember Gary Weiss from Saturday Night Live? He used to do like a then now a film from Gary Weiss. I think so. I'm not... He did the Ruddles. Okay, okay. So I mean, I knew who Gary Weiss was, and uh, we did. I think we did like four or five spots. And it was like to me that was huge. Oh, it was huge. I mean, that was such, and that was such a big deal. Also, I had to go to fly to New York for the callback, you know. So I was like so excited, and um, that was really fun. And it, and it played a lot, and you know, it was exciting. And it was like the beginning of of doing all that. Well, now with commercials, I always hear, you know, especially I know people who have been in beer commercials because mm-hmm. they play so much, and people drink so much <laughs> beer. People start recognizing you were you starting to get recognized because i mean yeah people watch it and they're like a little bit people that guy you're that guy yeah i get get that more now where where like the people that like you know it's not a big deal but it's like the people like when you pay your gas bill they're like hey you're that guy (laughs) and uh and that's i you know it's nice because you know you can be having kind of an iffy day and you know you'll go to home depot and you're just returning you know some sprinkler pump or whatever and they'll be like Project X. You're the guy for Project X. And it's like, that's a nice See, bump. See, that's cool. It's a nice bump. I, I, it's you know. good. It's good. It's always good to get Absolutely. I, they, they think I'm someone else all the time. So. <laughs> I know. I, but I usually, I let, them, I let them kind of try to figure it out for a while because they're usually like, you're on Saturday Night Live. I was like, no. <laughs> so so you're, you're doing the commercials. You, you do the Arliss. And mm-hmm. now you start, I, as I look at your resume, you start getting a bunch of different parts and different shows like from Home Improvement to like Providence, you mm-hmm. know, which, which where you used to a serious role what was your was providence your first serious role I think role? providence was the first serious role but you know it took me a long time to marry the two like be able to marry my improv skills and my like serious acting skills for some reason i can't understand why is i kept them very separate so when i was doing the serious acting stuff that was work and improv was art and so I kept them very separate, and I don't know why I did that. But little by little, I started to to bring them together, and then that's when I'm that's where I'm at now, and that's where I'm having the most fun. Is and when the real great thing is nowadays is people are more comfortable with improv, and so when I do a show like Psych or something like that, they'll be like, okay, you know, this one you can do it, you know, just, and I know enough to just add a little bit, and I also make it always story based. I never just to, you know go off on my own right. tangent, but I love it when I'm given that little bit of leeway to just go, just add a little something. It just gives me the freedom. All of a sudden, I'm I, I just enjoy it so much more. And it can be serious, it can be comedic, it can be whatever. But for me, it's it's so much more. It's all about the story. I I really learned that. Just like it's all. It's not about because when you're doing improv. You know, you would do a character and people would be like, oh, that was so funny. You were that guy, that German guy. That was so funny. And so you get it in your head like that's acting. But it's so much more about the story, the story that's being told. And that's why I like improv as a spice more than a meal. Okay. Because sometimes it goes on. It's too much. You know, it's like not that it's indulgent, but it's it really has to be played very it's. The, using the words, have to, you have to just do a little bit. It goes right. a long way because sometimes people have a tendency to like, they want to get that laugh, so they keep going and they go and then they get a laugh and they keep going and they keep going. And it's it's just, 
Sometimes it becomes redundant. Well, that's and- that's like the comic who wants to get off stage with a big laugh, but they're just not getting it. And they go, okay, I'll leave you with this. And okay, and like because I'm I'm starting to host a show at my friend's bar, and I've hosted shows before where you have eight minutes. Okay, don't when you say I'm going to leave you with this, I'm I'm getting up and walking <laughs> up. If you don't get a laugh, I mean, there's nights where I've had you know the other night I did a 30 minute set and I was starting to tail down at the end and I finally got the laugh but if that hadn't have worked I still would have gotten off the stage I yes. would have said I'm leaving you next I'm like you think okay they watched me for 25 minutes they like me for 22 of them that's a good percentage absolutely and that's the thing though you're so funny because yeah people keep trying it's like no once you're done if if they don't if they're not laughing if on two attempts they're not gonna laugh again because now they're starting to hate you right people don't get that <laughs> I know I learned that at Second City actually uh, when I was directing of doing the running order of like how you know you can start in the beginning and you have to show them that you're competent and you you guys all know what you're doing and so that the, then the audience can relax but then you really you really got to focus on those last 15 minutes right. because that's all they remember. Yeah, well they, they always... don't remember the whole show. They only remember how you oh, go yeah. out. And so everybody feels that that pressure but like you have to know that like yeah. you're that, that's how that. they tell it saying joke telling. If you're going to tell a long joke that punchline better be a strong punchline because if you have the crowd going, oh, yeah, 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 uh, then you're done. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's probably the same with directing and the improv. It has to, there to has to be it. that payoff. Yeah. I can ask you about the mustache. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it's, it's on your website. You have the uh, mustache. Now, have you always grown, a, have you always had mustaches since you were like no, a kid? No, or, no, 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 no. Or did you because grow for a role? Commercials, I, because I did commercials, I always was clean shaven and had the, you know, the short haircut and was like that guy. And that was great. And then I played a lot of like, you know, young dads on TV and stuff like that. But it got boring. It got so boring. And my dad had a mustache. My brother had a mustache. My cousins had mustaches. My grandfather had a mustache. I always wanted to have one, but it just didn't seem like it was right. And then I did something. I forget. I did <laughs> I did some crazy movie for a friend of mine, and I had a mustache because I was like, mm, this is my opportunity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have it. And I did another movie where I pasted it on. Okay. And and uh, you know what? That was a great. That was great because I pasted it on and I loved it. Well, I mean, see, you good. You look good in the mustache. That's one thing. A lot of guys. Well, thank you. But I mean, if I grow a mustache, I look like a pedophile. <laughs> well, okay. we I, all run that risk. No, but no, but you actually, I think maybe you're. But you look good in the mustache. And there's a lot of guys. You know, I hate when I go out and I see you know the 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 waiter at Barney's Beanery who has to. Curl and try oh, to look get cool. The flip at I mean, the end, yeah. yeah, I mean, I have a friend named Jim Daly who did comedy back east and is a magician. He is actually one of those professional mustache guys. And I remember him back, I mean, in 1989 with his red Rusty Jones mustache. But now it's grown and it's gray. But he can do that. Sure, he's had that forever. But these guys now who twirl it, and oh stuff, sure, it's, it's, it's like you don't you know you look like a dick. <laughs> well, you look like an old time boxer <laughs> who's getting his ass kicked. You know, it's. Like, I think though that that's part of the charm of it. Like I think it, for those guys, it's just kind of ironic, and you know, it's a joke. But for me, it's like something. Also, a lot of my uh, comedy heroes, Bill Murray had a mustache back in the seventies okay. when I first when I first started like enjoying Bill Murray. Well, he had a mustache. Um, Dabney Coleman had a mustache, um, and I always and uh, oh uh, oh I can't think of his name now. Oh. Um, what was he in? Oh, uh, what, what's the Mary? Not Mary Hartman. Mary Hartman, but he was Martin uh, Mull. Martin Mull. Okay. Martin Mull had a mustache, and that uh, for some reason I always liked those guys. Now the thing that I like about the mustache is it lets me play characters that they wouldn't even have looked at me for, 
but they're my kind of guys. Do you get police officer? No. I, I would I, think I would think you I would get because you're first of all, if you don't, you what six three? No, oh, six two. Oh yeah, but but you look, you could pass as a like if sure. I saw you, if your hair was never. cut a little thinner, like if you never. were trimmed, I could sit them going, police officer. I never, never have played a cop. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have only been shot and killed. Uh, for the first time a couple of months ago. What I've never been in? shot. Well, I got shot on Eagle Heart, which was fantastic because, I don't know, when you're a kid, the only thing that I always wanted to be in the movies was one of the guys that got shot in a war movie. Right. You know, And they actually put all the little squibs <laughs> on me. Oh my God, that was so much fun. And they, you Does know, it like, hurt? Not at, all, not at all. But what's great is that it, it you feel it, so you don't have to do anything. You just go with it and uh and they had like four on my chest and then two more up near my shoulder so as they shot me with the four and as i was falling back two more exploded oh that was so much fun see that's awesome now as i look through your you know i mean cold case and all these different shows you're, you've been in a lot of stuff and uh i gotta ask you though what was it like you're you're the bacon guy bacon neck in in <laughs> michael what was it like to work with michael i don't know if you're a sports fan oh sure well but, and also in chicago but it's, and it's oh because chicago chicago and, i mean he was god yeah and i mean he's one of the best players ever so you're, you're sitting there and it must be you know you just say we don't get starstruck at all and even if you don't like sports it's still michael jordan oh, i mean it doesn't it get was bigger like than standing that. next to you know the pope or or uh or uh, one of the beatles now did you, you know? know when you auditioned he was in the commercial I did, I did, but you know, I you never know what these. Like I was saying before, you know, you can think you're just killing it, and you, you never hear anything. So I didn't really think too much of it, and <clears throat> it was a long shoot, so it was like a, over a, like four days, and you know, we were just doing bits, and they would like bring me in, and we'd do some bits in the plane, and then we'd go back, and then we'd do some more, and whatever. So it was pretty loose. But then Michael, like, so we would do stuff, and then Michael would show up, and then we'd do his stuff. Um, but the thing was, they told you very specifically, do not talk to Michael Jordan. Okay, Do Why? not talk to him. Because, you know, obviously, this is the thing that I've come to understand. Because at first I was like, that's just terrible. But the fun thing was, <clears throat> to, to go around that, the other guy that was in the commercial, he was on one side of Michael Jordan and I was on the other side of Michael Jordan. So he and I would do bits across Michael Jordan. As Michael Jordan was there. <laughs> he was sitting right there. Okay. And what was so great is that Michael Jordan would laugh at what we were saying, but he wasn't engaging with us, but he laughed like a little kid. <laughs> like like a little kid, like where he'd shake his shoulders and stuff like that. And it was like so endearing. Well, and I you wanted for... to tell him, oh my God, we saw all his championships. We were up on the roof when they won the first championship. And it was like VE day. All of a sudden, you know, the fireworks were going off and people, people were, we were on the roof in Chicago in my apartment in Old Town. And you could hear people cheering all throughout the city. I mean, that's crazy. That's not an experience. Yeah. You... I mean, I've, I've gotten to go to, I went to the Sixers parade in Philadelphia and it was, it was like, it was nuts. I didn't this get... is spontaneous though. No. It okay. wasn't even, this wasn't even a parade. This okay. was spontaneous that, he, that they had finally won and it was just like, it was a city that was alive. It was just the craziest, coolest thing and I just wanted to like tell him that but the thing that I learned was that I've heard all the stories that people would tell Michael Jordan if they were talking to Michael Jordan, and they are some of the dumbest, longest, crazy stories of like, my cousin and I were playing basketball, and we saw this Michael Jordan commercial, and we lost the ball, and then we had to, and it was just like, it goes on and on and on, it has no end, and he's just like, he must have heard yeah. so many, he's like... 
you know, people must have talked his It must off. also be weird when you're sitting next to someone going, they are worth like 200, 100 oh, million. Like, man. like, like we can sneeze. I mean, they're, you're probably thinking his shirt is, is not, not the free little bit. And he's huge. Yeah, like he, he seems normal size yeah, you know, when you watch him on TV. He always looks wiry, yeah. He's, he's huge. He's like a great elk. I mean, he's just, and he's just big and and he he must be like six seven or so. i don't know how tall he is but he's big and um he's really elegant and you know he's like he's a and he's a really nice he seemed like a really nice guy but like i said he, like, you couldn't really you couldn't really talk to him that's crazy i know it was, it was it was a little bit disappointing but it was it was more than enough to be six inches from right him. now did people recognize you as a bacon because that's oh my that's, god that's such a line that it, but the one thing about that line is, and it wasn't anything all i did was like my reaction i mean it was just a reaction but it was because your shirt and that's and we, shirt, but right. we noticed that because i noticed because i wear sweaters under shirts and i always freak out because it's like right okay they have to look right you know? right exactly like, like, it's, always like, it's like my best black shirt t-shirt i have it's like the logo's up a little too high so then it's like oh <laughs> the v-neck I, I can't wear it like that but did people like come up to you oh my god yeah well also they played it for like three or four years yeah, it was on forever. So that was, you know, that's what. It, but oh, any time that I would go into places where I could actually talk to people for a second, they would be like, "The bacon, that guy." <laughs> and I think that that was one of the first times when people really started to be like, "Oh, you're that guy." Well, what's amazing about that is, if 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 they didn't, if someone didn't know, or if someone's from another country and didn't know the commercial, people would be going, well, why, "Why do they call him bacon?" That <laughs> yeah, like no, they, they would have no happened. idea because that's the thing; it's nothing to do. It doesn't but. make any. Yeah, it's a made-up term just for that. For that commercial, so you did that commercial. You've been, you know, you're meeting these people. Now you talked about uh, Eagle Eagle Heart. How'd that come up? And plus, working with Chris Chris Sully, we talked about something amazing. Did you? Did they come after you? I mean, I saw you on a show Full Circle. Uh huh. What, what was that? Full Circle is just recent. Full Circle okay. was something that I did back in June. I'm not sure if it's aired yet or not. Okay, because it says. Okay, I'm looking at your. Resume. That's uh, Neil LeBute. Okay, uh, you know Neil great LeBute from yeah, great playwright, and. Uh, that that's something that that's new, but Eagleheart was a few years ago, uh, and, and and we just did we just finished the last uh, the third season, but I mean when I got hired was <clears throat> this was back in I don't know how many years ago I don't know what was it say ninety this says no eight, this is two thousand two eleven to two fourteen right well now now you you're working a lot you're still getting commercials uh uh-huh. and so and you're getting on TV I was up in I was up in Vancouver shooting the very important. Um, Santa Paws, which was a movie, yeah, okay. like a dog movie you know up what? in. They have them like at Christmas time at like Target and Kmart. And there's like, but the thing is, there's like a Santa Paws one, two, yes, three, four. Absolutely. And they sell one like this gift set. I remember at Christmas time, I was, I was looking for this ornament and I was at Kmart and they had all these little. The baskets of these movies are like five bucks. Mine had like three of them. I was just going to say, you know what? It's Christmas time. My girlfriend was her first Christmas out here because she, she uh-huh. moved out here this year. And I was like, I'm just going to bring home Santa Paws. But I'm like, she's going to she's gonna <laughs> kick me out. If I walk in, hey, honey, let's watch Santa Paws. She's like, so so you, you were in that movie. I was in that movie. Who did, uh, what did you play? I played the dog catcher. So you and were a jerk. I was the I was the bad guy. <laughs> now, do you like playing bad guys? Oh, I love playing bad guys. Oh my god, if I could play bad guys, oh, I love playing the dick, the bad guy, um, the guy who thinks that's what the that's why I love the mustache because the mustache just leans you right into that. Where and wh- you know it's a visual medium, so the second you see me, you want to be you want to come across as like, oh my god, that guy's a dick. Yeah, well, when I idiot. see with the mustache, it reminds me of Jonathan Schmock when he was in a uh, Ferris Bueller. Oh Bueller. yeah, like because that that same look, like he does have the same hairline. Sure. Too. Oh my god, yeah. Um, 
But I was up there. I was doing that. And the movie was so funny. Like when I was doing it, they totally let me improvise. Like like I was improvising all over the <laughs> place. Like, yeah, set up a cut. <laughs> they didn't use any of it. But it was. But it was, the nice thing was that that was really nice because I totally enjoyed doing it. Have you walk, worked with animals before? Oh, that... I'm sure. In commercial. Oh, but... I worked with. Oh, yeah. I've worked with alligators. Now, is that scary? Um, it was, and especially when they move, because what they do is they don't move at all, and. The thing was, we were it was it was that Miller Lite commercial, and we were we were down in Florida. We were almost at Tampa, and we were sitting right by this alligator. And they were like, "The alligator could be a fake alligator. It's not moving." So this guy, whoever his wrangler was, pokes him with a stick, and the thing spins around towards us. And I was like, "I'm not getting paid enough to do this." And but so that was a little bit scary. But then when um, I did the uh, I did some commercials for uh, uh, the Kentucky Derby. And I did it for the Kentucky Derby. And so one of the things was I was like, you know, it was a bit where I was like interviewing all, uh, a horse or whatever. And those thoroughbred horses are so high spirited. And so like they don't like to be around people. They don't the like to be. The Yeah. The thing roundhouse kicked me. I was I was at like midsection, like like along his I flank. Oh my god, did it hurt? And their and legs are so strong. Cat, everybody in the crew is laughing and rolling around. And that thing, he picked his leg up and swung it around and kicked me right in the butt. And it, it the whole leg turned black oh, and blue. Man. It was horrible. But uh but when um Oh, you were we were talking about Santa Paul, so you're catching Santa the dogs. Paws. So I was catching dogs. So anyway, so I was all full of beans that I was like, you know, doing getting to do all my improv and and I worked with uh Wendy McClendon Covey. Okay. Great. And uh, she was uh it was kind of like uh oh Annie or something like you know, like where the kids are in the um orphanage. Right, and, you right. know, she's the she so I was her boyfriend. Okay. So I was her bad boyfriend and she was bad too. Uh but so I got I, we were improvising, we were playing, and obviously none of that made it, but when I came back, or when I was up there, they said, Pete, they um, were wondering if you would be interested in uh, auditioning for Eagleheart. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, what is that? And, and because I couldn't make it, uh, I was like, well, and they said, well, maybe they're going to offer to you. And so I was like, great. So no, sight unseen. Now, sight unseen. Now, who, who, who knew you? Did you, did you ever find the out who knew you? The casting director. Okay. The casting director knew me, and um, so she brought me in. Uh, into the the mix, and I played a completely different part. I played uh, uh, the director, and it was supposed to be a show inside of a show, right? So it was Eagleheart was the television show, and then it was the outs. There was the produce. There was like I think um, Conan O'Brien was a producer, and Richard Kind was you know some other producer or some uh, network executive or whatever. There was a whole world. Paul Rust was in it, and it was like this whole thing, and then the network canned the whole that that whole side of it they didn't want it they just wanted the show Eagleheart. so when i had so much fun doing that and one of the things was i got to work with chris elliott and chris elliott i consider myself sort of a wise ass and he is the king of the wise ass well he's so i mean you know it's once again you know when you're you know when you're a little bit older you remember chris elliott when he was on letterman and you know i talk about when we were in college, Letterman was like, you know, you'd get oh, yeah. stoned and you'd watch Letterman. Absolutely. And he did these characters that that were just so, like the man from under the, the seats. Sta- oh my seats God, and, just, yeah. and then he'd come on and he does, he would do the Brando impression. And you can find on YouTube, like some of these videos he's done of like songs and just, you know, like he, I think he did one of a... Uh, uh, Everybody hurts, or something by REM, and he does these spoofs, and he and he comes from his dad. I mean, you know, Bob Elliott, mm-hmm. and just I mean, Cabin Boy, so stupid but so funny, and just his roles are always 
great. So it must have been really cool for you to work with him. Oh my god! It's someone that you, as someone who, as you, you know, you said you grew up watching comedy so much, and that you sit there and work with this guy who's just so. And the funny thing is, he's been he's been sort of under the radar unless you're hip. Like everyone who's hip. Idolize. Oh, he's great. Oh, but, yeah. But, Everybody knows. But you take him to Mid America. People they'll know him as the guy from uh, something about Mary. They right. don't know who he is. Right. That's true. And for me, it was such a treat to get to work with him. But one of the, the great things that I loved about Chris Elliott, he's one of the nicest guys and one of the most mellow. And he's a wise ass. So he's always sarcastic. He's always. But it, if you enjoy him, it's like you're getting you know a live feed of Chris Elliott constantly, and he's hilarious. But when we were doing it, so I come back from uh, doing Santa Paws, and I'm like, you know, I'll just improvise a little bit here and there. And so we were doing uh, Eagleheart, and we're doing some scene, and I added a little button to the end of the scene, and I could see the director, uh, Jason Wolliner, and one of the writers, Michael Coleman, Turn around and they start to come out like they're going to come talk to me and be like, hey, buddy, <laughs> dial it back. We're not doing that. And all of a sudden, Chris Elliott steps in front of it and he goes, no, 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 no. That's actually going to work. That's going to work. I'm going to say this. Then he's going to say that. And then let's try that. And I, he totally saved my ass. He didn't know who I was. Right. And also, actually, he did know me just a little bit. We had auditioned. We went to... Uh, we went to network for a TV show. You know, like when they do the pilots, they do the studio, and then they do the network. And so there were all these guys there that were auditioning for this part. And Chris Elliott was hanging out. And, <clears throat> and everybody that was there was trying to talk to him. You know, they, they, Nobody knew who I was or cared. And Chris Elliott, I was outside walking around because you're, you know, you're waiting for them to arrive, all the executives to arrive and everything. And uh, Chris Elliott walked outside, and he was like, hey, what's up? And so he and I just hung out and talked for like 15 20 minutes and he was he was such a nice guy and then then when i came back for eagleheart he was like oh i remember you and so then so then with kind of the bond was kind of uh set there but he was uh he's such a nice guy and he was always fun to work with and he was always fun to like for like up for ideas and to play and he was just a, he's just a great guy. Well, that show I'm sure has a cult following because it's, oh, it it's on Adult Swim now. Now, what's it? I mean, as I, people who are into the cult stuff can be sort of a little bit weird fans. Do you ever run like because oh, yeah. it's so it's such a random show? Do you ever get some just like some people, oh, weirdos yeah, come up to? But you, I, I mean, you must enjoy it unless they get. I like weird people. Unless they get creepy weird. Like, I love to be at a bar and I'll start talking to a guy. You know, we'll just talk about sports, you know, whatever. And, you know, they're cool. But then when they go over that edge and you, you figure out why they are at the bar by themselves. Right. Like me, it's like I know friends or I know the bartender. Right. But then you sit there and they sort of creep you out. Oh, sure. Well, the only thing that happens is, I mean, actually, they're always really cool. It's just they, it's like, we don't know how to end it. Right. Like, okay. <laughs> so it's just like, we're just kind of like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and and then my and you're uh, oh Larry. Okay. Well, great meeting you, Larry. Okay. That's funny. you know it just kind of keeps going on. It, it's never it's never odd or weird right. because they they love the show and they're like oh when you sang Sex Rash or whatever you're like oh that's great I'm glad you enjoyed the show that's awesome and uh, you know what uh, Neil Flynn is a good friend of mine and uh, I really learn I I learn how to because I you know this was all new to me when people. Uh, 
you know, when people come up to you and talk to you and stuff like that. And I watched Neil Flynn, and the way he always handled it was so, – I just liked the way it was so professional. When people come up to him, he's the janitor on, um, on well, Scrubs. I, I, I told, on I told Pete – I used to see him – I used to go to Black Angus here in Burbank because I would watch the Phillies games. They did the thing. And I, he used to come in like once every two weeks and sit at the booth by himself. And no one really bothered him because everyone was in the bar and they were watching baseball. And he, he blends in. Yeah. You know, and he's it, such a regular guy. Right. But the nice thing is he always – um, they're like, oh, they don't know who he is. So, or, or no, I mean, they don't know his name, maybe. Yeah, at least this was when he was doing Scrubs. And so they'd be like, oh, a janitor guy. And he'd be like, Neil Flynn. And he'd put his hand out right. and he'd be like, and you are? And they'd be like, Steve Davidson. And he'd be like, oh, nice to meet you, Steve. How you doing? And they would have a little interaction. And he'd be like, well, thanks for watching the show. And he'd be on his way. But he was such a gentleman and he was such a professional. I was like, that's the way I'll do it. I mean, if that, that ever I'm lucky enough for people to come up to me, that's the way I'm going to do it. Because he was such a pro. Right. And he also, but the thing that I always liked is he wanted to know who they were. See, that's And he wanted important. to know their name. And I just thought that was really nice. So we have a few minutes left. Have you been going out for pilot season at all? Or? I have. It just It's just kind of starting up. Usually they do the dramas in January and February. And then March, it starts to lean towards the comedies. And then in April, that's when they shoot the comedies. So it's just kind of starting for me. Um, but it's so funny. You know, it's different. As you get older, it, it, it definitely starts to change where it just gets down to the, the few. Like, because when I first came out here, you know, the thing I always remembered when I was doing pilot season when I first came out is you would always have a stack of scripts over there in your passenger seat. You know, like you'd be going from one thing to the next and you just kind of dump them there. And then by the end of the pilot season, it would just be a big mess in your car. <laughs> and, nah, it's nice and clean over there now, you know. So it's nice, uh, you know, it, it starts to accumulate. So, Do you ever get caught off for dramas for a pilot? No, I haven't. And I think it's tough. In town, I really feel that, you know, you're really seen as one thing or another. And so if you end up doing a lot of, because I did a lot of drama yeah, there for yeah. a while, but then they really stopped looking at you for comedies. And then they like, oh, well, then that's what he's doing. Uh, and so I just enjoy comedy so much more. Uh, the, the dramas are fantastic and it's really fun. There's much more to them. They're the, there's more character. There's more story. But gosh, there's nothing like doing funny stuff and working with funny people that's the best part to get to work with people we were talking about this earlier i think that's the big benefit of doing of being in show business is to work with jim carrey and talk to jim carrey and then talk to you know jay thomas who was somebody i don't know if you ever listened oh, yeah. to yeah no thomas. my girlfriend listens to it all the time but he used to he was on the radio when i was in junior high and he was on cheers he was eddie, oh, Le, eddie sure. back and he's just and then, and then you see him like show up and like uh, Law and Order. He plays drama. He always plays a dick. Yeah, you know? and it's it's yeah. But he's a great guy. Right, and, and I, he's funny. I worked with him. I worked with him on a couple of different things, and I I did a pilot with him, and uh, I just got to know him. And he's the nicest guy in the world, full of stories, but just a really genuine, great guy. And he was my idol when I was in junior high. I used to steal his morning radio show That's and funny. tell it at the lunchroom. Like it was my story, and I just I loved Jay Thomas. I just thought he was so funny. He was such a wise guy. Any new commercials coming up? Um, well, the- yeah, I did. I <laughs> I don't know. I did something for Hot Pockets okay. the other day with uh, Aaron Andrews. Is that her name? Aaron. Yeah, Aaron Andrews. Um, <laughs> so that'll be coming out. And then uh, I did uh, a couple of movies. I did a movie called Larry Gay, Renegade uh, Male Flight Attendant. Okay. So be looking for that. Are you the star of that? I'm not the star of that. Uh, Mark Feuerstein, or... Okay. Yeah, he's, he's, the, he's the star of that. 
And then, uh, and then uh, full circle. A full circle should be. I think full circle is something that's only on Directv. And that's a sitcom. No, no, that's a drama. a drama. That's Neil LeBute. Oh, Neil LeBute, yeah, I'm thinking Lots of Neil yeah. yeah, that's the Neil LeBute comedy yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> he is funny. He, yeah. is the, he definitely has funny stuff, but it's it's harsh at the end. It's cool. pretty dark. Well, people, what's your website? Tell people your website. PeteGardner.com. Yeah, because that's funny because I looked and it says, when you look it up, it says Pete Gardner site. But it doesn't doesn't say Pete Gardner. Like when I Google it, it says Pete Gardner site, but it's PeteGardner.com. Oh, I good to know. And now do you tweet? I don't. I haven't. I haven't got. You got to get on the Twitter. Yeah, You're I'm a funny go. guy. You got it. And you I people, do it. you would get thousands of followers just if they said you're an eagle heart. And people would be like, "Oh my god!" Oh, that may be, that'd be fun. Maybe I got to try that. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. It was nice meeting you. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure. And people, uh, follow me on Twitter. We talk about Twitter at uh, Cooper Talk. You can follow me. I tweet a lot. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. But I've been tweeting a lot. Also, you can find a bunch of old episodes on my uh, website, CooperTalk.net. I have about 235 episodes up. Also, if you have a smartphone. Go to the Google Play Store, type in Cooper Talk, you get the Cooper Talk app so you can listen to my show on your phone. Or if you're the iPhone, you have to type coopertalk.podbean forward slash mobile forward slash, which is a pain in the ass, but I, for some reason I'm not in the iPhone store. So that's all right. Remember, every Tuesday at uh, the Playa Azul Bar in Burbank, it's right there in San Fernando between Grismer and Scott Road, I'll be hosting Crappy Comedy Night. It starts this Tuesday, and every week I bring in some great comics. And yeah, I'll keep you up to date what's going on. Send me an email, cooper at indie100. That's I-N-D-I-E-100.com. I'd love to hear from you. So remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and sleep well.